0: Well, have you ever done something or been a part of something and then people compliment you and you feel like, well, I really can't take credit for that. Mm -hmm. Now yesterday, watching some college football, and today, uh, if all goes as planned, I'll get to watch at least part of the Titans game. And uh, what you see in football now is when guys do something, what do they do? Boy, they let you know that they did something right. Now, some of us that are old tend to think, well, okay, you did your job. You know, because they get up and they go... You know, like this, right? Uh, you know, because I tackled somebody. Well, that was your job. You were supposed to tackle the guy. You know, I just imagine, you know, the uh, the elementary school teacher at the end of the day thinking to themselves, I did it. I imparted knowledge on them. And they go, oh, right? Or, you know, the cop who issues the speeding ticket. And I did it again. You know. And so for every walk of life, for every vocation or occupation, we could all just... We know that moment where we have some kind of accomplishment, we could do our, our like what I hope to see Jeffrey Simmons do this afternoon a few times uh, when he does something very gloriously right for the Titans. And so, but the fact is, a lot of what we do, it's, it's a joint effort, right? I mean, Thursday. It was a joint effort that we fed 85 people. Kay and I did our debriefing on Friday morning, and she said, Greg, the most we've ever fed before for that event was 50 people. And I'm like, well, no wonder it seemed like such work, you know. 80, 85 people, that's a whole bunch of people to feed. But, you know, people would say, man, that bacon was awesome, and those eggs were awesome, and I didn't, I didn't cook any of the bacon. I didn't cook any of the eggs. You know, seven and a half pounds of bacon, y'all, and it wasn't enough. We're going to do 12 pounds next time. Fifty-four eggs this time. It wasn't enough. It went fast. We're going to do like 12 dozen eggs next time. And so, but I'm thankful for all the help that went into the event. If they were grateful that they had a table to sit out, well, somebody put up that table. If they were grateful they got to sit down while they eat, well, somebody... that chair there. Somebody put out the basket of forks so they could eat the baked beans. Somebody brought the baked beans and the list goes on and on and on. And the things that we do in life every day where we realize we didn't do it ourselves, we had help in accomplishing that task. And the reality for us if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of the body of Christ, you are a Christian, the reality is that nothing that we do we should feel like we truly take credit for, right? That it is It is God. It is what God has done in me. In Acts chapter 12, uh, the, 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 this section starts off pretty grim. In verse 1 it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put, uh, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, so it is James that has been put to death. And so Herod. Now, this is, you know, if we go through the New Testament, we see Herod the Great at the time that Jesus is born. There's Herod Antipas at the time of Jesus' ministry. He's the one who had ultimately had John the Baptist beheaded. Well, now this is a different, a different king in the Herod line. This is Agrippa the first. And so, and so now this this guy is pretty ruthless as we can already see and he has seen as scripture tells us very clearly here that by putting James to death that the Jews are very pleased and he wants to curry favor with them and so there is tremendous division at this point in the first century between Jews and Gentiles it's pretty ugly. And so he now has Peter arrested. Now let's think about that for a minute. This is James, the brother of John, one of the sons of Zebedee. This is Peter, who preached so boldly at Pentecost, back in Acts chapter 2. This is two-thirds of that inner circle of Jesus, That when Jesus would have the twelve with him and he would say, you, you, and you, come with me. And he would choose those three. It was the same three. We see that over and over and over, don't we? Peter, James, and John. Mountain of transfiguration. Who's there with him? It's Peter, James, and John. Going to Jairus, the synagogue leader's house. Because his daughter has died and he's going to raise her from the dead. He doesn't take all of the twelve. It's just Peter, James, and John. And then, the night that he is to be arrested, when they go out of that upper room and they cross the Kidron Valley outside of Jerusalem and they go up to the Mount of Olives and into that Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to those three... Peter, James, and John, you watch while I go pray. The spirit is willing, he says. But the flesh is what, church? It's weak. And bless their hearts, they can't even stay awake for him at this point. But there they are, Peter, James, and John. His innermost circle. It's almost cruel, isn't it? hey, if we take out these guys, we're going to rattle their cage. And so then something wonderful happens. Because the church is praying and God shows up. And so Peter, in jail, guarded by four squads, four soldiers each, and then he's sleeping and he gets kind of tapped and awakened. And he's sort of kind of in a stupor at this point. He hears a voice that says, come on and follow me. You know, grab, grab your cloak, let's go. And the chains that we're told are on him because he is chained to two guards. And we're told in Acts 12 that those chains just sort of fall away. And when Peter comes to himself, he's outside of the prison. And then he realizes, wow, that was an angel of the Lord that just did that. And so then we see what Peter does then. And it's a scene that if you've heard me preach about it before, you know I kind of get a chuckle out of it because he goes and he knocks on the door of Mary's house. This is Mary, the mother of John Mark. Who would later be credited with writing the Gospel of Mark? And so he goes to John Mark John Mark's house, his mother's house, and he knocks on that door. And Rhoda, the servant girl, comes and and looks out, and there's Peter. And she doesn't open the door. She goes and says, "Hey, y'all, Peter's out here." And they're like, "You're crazy! You're out of your mind!" They're thinking, "Well, maybe it's his angel." what does Peter keep doing? He's like, come on y'all, I'm out here. And so then finally they go and open the door and then let Peter in. In verse 17... Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Don't be confused by if you're thinking, hey, James has been put to death. Different James now. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was an early leader in the church in Jerusalem what is Peter saying? He's telling them, this is what the Lord did for me. And then we look in Joshua chapter 4. And if you were to go up into about verse 15 uh, of chapter 3, you see that the Jordan River, we are told, is at flood stage. And they've already given instructions, and the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, that which contains the Ten Commandments, they are to go and they are to stand in the middle of the river. They're instructed to go stand in the middle of the river with the Ark of the Covenant while the river's at flood stage. Now, this is an act of faith, folks. And if you read it carefully, you notice that it's not until the feet of the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, until their feet hit the water, that's when the Lord stops the river upstream. And then the entire Israelite nation is able to walk across that dry riverbed now into the the land that God had promised them on oath an amazing scene where they get to where they get to experience the same thing that those before them experienced when they came out of Egypt after celebrating the Passover that they were able to cross the Red Sea on dry ground and now the Jordan while it's at flood stage it's got to be a fairly intimidating sight If you've seen a river at flood stage, it doesn't look like its normal self. You don't know where the places are that are safe to cross. The places are that might be a bit more shallow, a bit more stable. And so all that is disguised now. So it is an act of faith for them to undertake this. But once those priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant are obedient to God... Once their feet hit that water, then God says, okay, here I am, watch this. And then they get to walk across on dry ground. And then in... Joshua 4 verse 1 while the whole nation, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan the Lord said to Joshua choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight so Joshua called together the 12 men, he had a pointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever why did he instruct them to stack these stones because he wanted it to be a place of remembrance so that when people later would say why 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 are these stones here why are they stacked here he says It triggers a memory, it's an opportunity for you to tell what the Lord has done for you. And church family, if we look through scripture through the lens of testimony, we see that over and over and over again we're reminded that we are to tell what the Lord has done for us. And it's something we're not always comfortable with. Because telling what the Lord has done for us means that we would typically have to talk about where we've been. It means we have to talk about what we've done. And that's not comfortable for us, is it? Because there's a reason we like to keep things secret, right? There's a reason we would like to gloss over some of our past. We would like to keep it in the past. We don't want to bring it back here into the present. But when we do just that, as we talked about in the last couple of months... We allow our sins, our past in some cases, to see the light of day. And we're able to proclaim God's forgiveness. But we're also at times able to say, hey, I was in a dark place. I was sick in some cases. I was dead, busted, broke in some cases. My life was a shambles in some cases. And this is what the Lord has done for me. Adam Nutt, come on up here, brother. Adam, he's got some family here today. One of his brothers, his parents, his wife are all with him. And Adam grew up in Wayne County. Yes, sir. Grew up at the Waynesboro Church of Christ. Distant cousin to Rick Brewer. Have I got that right? Right. Okay. And your mom and Jan Brewer have been like BFFs for a long, long time. Well, okay, I didn't mean it to sound like it's been that long, ladies. Okay. But... So you have a roundabout connection with the Hohenwald Church of Christ. Yes, and so uh, grateful that you would come. I met Adam, I don't know how many months ago now it's been, about seven, eight? Yeah, about seven. Yeah. And uh, I, I walked with Adam through the first six weeks of his recovery at Hope Center. And that's about all the introduction I need to give. Because I'm going to turn it over to Adam. And uh, let him tell you what the Lord
1: has done for him. I appreciate the introduction. That's probably the best introduction I've ever had. The only introduction I've ever had. (laughs) I really appreciate y'all letting me come and speak today. Um, It just. It humbles me so much. Um, the, the people that are here, that that um, are involved with the Hope Center, I'm sure a lot of you have a lot of involvement. Uh, Greg and uh, volunteers, and uh, those of you that donate. Uh, Josh Keltner, all y'all, I appreciate all y'all so very much. Um, it means it means the world to us. It's, y'all are changing the world. You really are. Um, so I'm going to start out by telling you about um, Adam Nut son of David and Patsy Nutt from Waynesboro, Tennessee. Um, I was born in 1981, and I had the best childhood of any. any, You can imagine how awesome it was. Every child, every young boy's dream. Uh, Raised on a big farm, um, grew up in church, um, never missed a service. I had the best parents and the best family you could imagine. I was the youngest of four. Pretty good at sports throughout high school. Made good grades. Never wanted for anything. Um, after I graduated high school, I tried cocaine for the first time, and life went downhill from there. Um, so it's just a roller coaster. I'm not gonna have time to say much of it because Greg only left me about five minutes. So, um, <laughs> thanks, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get through the main parts. Um, started started using cocaine there one year after I graduated high school and uh, thought it was just a little party something there for the weekend while it turned into an everyday thing. Uh, wound up in rehab for the first time in 2004 or 5. Um, stayed clean for about 6 months after that was right back at it. Um, next time I wound up in rehab It was the actually wound up in jail for the first time in 2010 Um, from 2005 to 2010 I was on pills could not get off I couldn't get off the pills um, and it came where that wasn't enough so uh, 2010 I got back on meth Um, I picked it up along the way and just the recreational way of using it wasn't enough so I found the needle Um, that was the worst thing that ever happened to me uh so go to rehab in 2011 up in Burns Tennessee uh stayed up there for nine months or so uh it was a 30 day program and went to a halfway house for nine months um started using right at the end of my stay there um roll around to 2014 and try to straighten my life up again and I was rebaptized um, thought that would help so life started changing a little bit for me i got off the pills and everything for a couple of months um i still didn't understand though oddly enough i'm raising the church waynesboro church of christ i was a song leader um i still didn't understand the transformation thing i didn't feel it the reason i didn't feel it is because i hadn't surrendered to god so 2014, I was rebaptized. In 2015, I had the cops show up at my door one day knocking um, about 8 o'clock in the morning, telling me I had to go to jail. I had sold some drugs to a friend of mine, and um, he was uh, wearing a, there he was videoing it. And so I had to go to jail for the first time. Stayed in jail for 365 days. And uh, never got a job or anything. I was in a pod. Never saw the sun. But one time, and anybody that knows me knows that that's pure torture. <laughs> because I'm an outdoorsman. Um, so I get out in uh, spring of 2016 and started trying to get my life back on track. The whole time I was thinking, well, I just got baptized. And now I'm getting punished for something I've done nine months before. Because um, that's how long it took from the time that I sold the drugs for them to actually arrest me. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. So I had a, I had a tough time with that. And so I was battling with why is this happening. You know, God, I quit doing that. Well, I was out in uh, 2016. Got a decent job. You know, had a little place there. was doing pretty well. I was out for two years. Um, cops come back again. You got to go back to jail. What for? I haven't done anything. Yeah, you no, know, no. Know. There's been a mistake. You were released by accident. Mistake. You were released too early. You weren't supposed to be released. Great. Great, thanks, Lord. You know, that's where my mind was. Um, so I got back to jail for 13 months. But that turned into a, a blessing and a curse at the same time. Uh, I went to Dyersburg um, where I went to go on a work release so I could actually go out and make money. And I got out of jail with $17,000. A lot better off than when I went in. But the day before I got out, I was reintroduced to drugs again. It just, without even going into detail, it just kind of showed up. And I did it, thinking, well, this one time is not going to (laughs) hurt. You idiot, you've been in jail for for 13 months and then a year and all this. One time is not going to hurt. That's where the addict mind is. That's where the mind is without God. Um, needless to say about six months well about a month and a half later I was broke and then I think it was about six months I'm back in rehab in California I stay there for 30 days um, come home seven days later I was back in jail for a drug charge so I do 30 days in there wound up going back to rehab in South Bend, Indiana you think i understand by now that this, just, this, this rehab thing is not going to work. <laughs> it takes more than rehab. Uh, so I do my time up there, you know, and come back, and then COVID hits. Long story short, and I come back home. This was in 2020. Um, got my CDL, something I'd always wanted to do. Thought, well, this, this will be good now. I'm clean. Um, back home where I want to be. Got my CDL, something I've always wanted to do. Um, so I did, and did pretty good. But it wasn't enough. I was driving a truck, loving life, but I wasn't. It just wasn't enough. I was like, this is it. Yeah, I'm making good money. I got my CDL something I was finally saw something through, <laughs> got my CDLs. Okay, that's successful. Wasn't enough. So I started getting back into drugs again. Meanwhile, I'd met this pretty little girl right here um, over here at the junkyard dog and I was too afraid to even talk to her really but uh, she showed up in my life a couple of times um, but about the time she started showing up I was back into my addiction uh, so the whole time that I'm running all these years the one thing I always wanted was a woman to love me just as much as I love her it sounds very simple it was impossible to me and the more I I couldn't get that the more I went into my addiction the further it drove me away from that So when I finally met someone that I thought I could have that with, I was scared to death and took off. (laughs) Makes sense. Um, In February of 2021, um, I was pretty heavy into my addiction, very heavy into my addiction. My parents had kicked me out, you know, like any parent should, what, 39 years old, living at home with mom and dad. Come on. but i never forget that, that winter. We had a big snow. I was living in my truck. I was a pretty big boy, and I was living in a two-wheel drive Toyota. It got a little uncomfortable at times, especially when there's that much snow on the ground. But uh, anyway, I, I, I'd i been with Amy off and on, and, and I finally just I couldn't take anymore. She's all I think about, so I run back to her. And she accepted me back. We went on a date. And I was an hour late. I said, uh, sorry, I'm late. Um, hi. That's the reason I was late. You know, I'm living in my truck. And I can't tell you I'm not going to get high again because I've told my family that and all these people that I love my whole life. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to... And I meant it, but I did it anyway. And she looked at me and she said, we'll work through it. (laughs) She didn't know what she was saying. (laughs) Next morning, I called her from the Wayne County Jail with my first DUI. Um, I had fallen asleep in my truck that night and woke up to a cop banging on my window. And... um, gave me a sobriety test and I told him, I said, man, I've been asleep in this little truck for four hours. I can't feel my legs. You can try, try to make me hop on one leg, touch my nose at the same time. Come on. But uh, so I got my DUI. Um, got out. I, did, I think I did seven days in there and I parents let me come home. Say, said, if you go to rehab, you know, commit to a long-term rehab facility, we'll, we'll let you stay here for a little while. And you can be a part of the family. Okay. I knew I wasn't going to go to a rehab. I needed a place to stay. It was cold. Um, we came over and met with Jeff, Gandy, and Stick over here at, uh, at Blondie. And, uh, they told me everything I was going to have to do. And I wasn't going to have it. I wasn't going to go to Blondie Church. I wasn't going to get up at 445 every morning. I wasn't going to work for nine months for free. Y'all are crazy. We'll work something else out. So... This time, me and Amy were back together, and uh, I think it lasted. I stayed at the parents' house for about a month before they finally just had enough. Said you got to do one thing or another. You got to go to rehab. You got to find your own place. You got to go. I didn't like that. Got mad. So from that point on, I was disowned from the Nut family. Um, I had nowhere to go, except for my wife, which is now my wife. that year, last year, was, was, was a great year and a very hard, rough year. Um, it seems like my sister told me my name was not allowed to be mentioned in that household. But that's pretty tough because my family had always been there for me. I mean, Always, and we we're always close. Always great friends. Um, and to go from the opportunities I would had early in life with my family that loved me so much to my name not even being mentioned in that house pretty rough Um, the Lord was with me this whole time Um, he'd finally given me the thing I'd been asking for all my life and I thought she'd be enough Um, we had a pretty decent year together but there were a lot of bad times I was still using so December 10th over here in Junkyard Dog parking lot um, I got arrested out right in front of her and all of her friends had, for, for drugs. And I was at the end of my rope. That's it. She was done with me. The last thing I ever had. I'd had won opportunities after opportunities. I'd been a small business owner. I had such great jobs and so many opportunities throughout my life and blew them all and didn't care. But now I cared. And so right over here, I said, Lord, either kill me or do something with me. I can't lose anything else. And right there in the back of that cop car that night, something changed in me. Um, I went to jail for a few days and something changed in her too. She was done. She finding me out. I said, I want to go to the Hope Center. So I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Throughout the whole time, This 20 year career of running and gunning, using drugs, trying everything I could do to sabotage my life and the people around me, I still had people that loved me. God was still with me. Um, I had a family and a church family that loved me so much. Jails. Those are all cards and letters from my family at the Waynesboro Church of Christ. That's just since I've been here. I got a sack full of them from the time I was in jail in the stets I had in jail and every time I'd go to rehab I'd get flooded with cards and letters from, the, from members of the church at Waynesboro they always loved me I would be so ashamed to go in there um, I would still go to church high sometimes I may go sit in the bathroom where I could hear it over the loudspeaker where I couldn't, didn't have to have contact with people but people would always find me and people would always hug my neck and tell me how much they loved me but I couldn't, I couldn't take it I would run from it because I felt so much guilt And but my church family in Waynesboro it's like right here what what you talked about this morning Acts chapter 12 verse 5 so Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him and there's no doubt in my mind that if the church hadn't been praying for me I would not be here talking to y'all right now there's no doubt in my mind I've had too many opportunities to where I, (laughs) I shouldn't have made it I, mean, I died right in front of my parents and my brother these three right here on the front row that's all that's dead um, the only way that, that I should be here is God, that's it I could tell y'all several times of things that have happened and it, there's no, it's just God um, that's just a little bit about that uh, son of Patsy and David 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So let me tell you a little bit about the new Adam Nutt. Not the one that's dead, that Adam's dead. When one I just told you about, it, he's dead and gone. Now I'm Adam Nutt, son of the Most High God. Hallelujah. Heir to the kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ. Amen. Came into the Hope Center January 18th. Um, I had one supporter, and without her, I don't, I don't know if I'd be here today. But I go in. She, I think that you know, I, I feel in my heart. I know that God used her to bring me back to Him because um, when I, it was the thought of losing her that says, "You know what, God, I'm done. Right over here, I'm done. I can't lose anything else. God, use me. I'm yours, or kill me." So I come in the Hope Center and I thought I was going to rehab <laughs> I didn't know I was going to become to be trained to be a disciple of God to be walking in a, in a new life I sat right there and talked to Michael Trent one day not long after I'd been there and I broke down in tears and he's like you want to you give your life to Christ I said absolutely so we prayed right there and from then on my life has just completely changed you know, it's funny in a way, but I've been in the Bible all my life. Went to Marshall Hill Bible School for a few years. Went to Heritage Christian University. I know the Scripture. But I never let God in my heart. I never surrendered. That's what I was missing the whole time. I tried to fill it with everything else under the sun, but nothing could fill a hole that God can fill. Only God can fill. And it's only everyone... Everyone has that hole in some way or another. And it's for God. Only God can fill it. So God has changed my heart. Over the last, what, seven months, I guess? Since January 18th. There's been ups and downs. Major ups and downs. I actually got to get married while I was there. (laughs) Um, It's the most wonderful woman I've ever met. My family... Where my name was not allowed to be mentioned in their household. They're here today. Not only are they here today, but they love me. Um, my others, siblings, my sister, my nephews, they love me. They couldn't be here today, but they love me. I have met some of the most amazing people in my life. I was thinking just the other day, I said, I've, I've gone these, all these years and I've had all these friends. And where were they? But now I'm surrounded I can't even begin to number think of a number of all the friends I have now that are in Christ you know and that's what we talk about all the time it is amazing it is simply amazing but the greatest thing that God has done is He's changed my heart He has softened my heart I no longer have hate for myself and hate for others it's all love for myself and love for others and I gotta thank Greg Smith you know when I first came into the Hope Center it was kind of a a God thing, I feel that I got him. Because I came in, I think you had just, your, your first-day counselor had just phased up or something. Michael Trent said, well, hey, there's Greg, let's get Greg. Man, uh, Greg kept me in line. It's funny, you know, I ran over just a little bit, but um, that's, that's up to par for me and Greg. We would have a council session. It was supposed to be two hours long. Four hours later, we'd be getting back. <laughs> Greg talks a lot. Um, <laughs> i just teasing. We both talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> He told me if we weren't done giving the invitation by 11.30, he said people were going to start getting antsy. It was said, like, well, it's not my fault. <laughs> Just kidding. I love Greg to death. Hey, Greg, is, um, Greg helped me find out more about myself than, than anybody in this world. And I'm grateful. Very grateful for you, Greg. And what you've done for me is tremendous. What well, the Hope Center has done for me is tremendous. Um, the new life I have is tremendous. I'm actually excited about living and um, living for Christ. And how is He going to use me? Because I know He's going to use me, and I want Him to use me. Um, but uh, they, 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 it hasn't all been great. And I'll say this, and I'll I'll end. Um, yeah, there's been some ups and downs with my families, my family back, and my wife. Um, one of the hardest things, though, that I've had to deal with since, since uh, I've been in the Hope Center, I'll touch on this briefly, is uh, when my wife got pregnant. The, the only other thing that I ever wanted in my whole life. And I prayed daily. God, thank you. God, please don't let her have a miscarriage. Please keep the baby safe. We lost the baby. And I've got journals of prayers where I keep my prayers. And at first, that was very, 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 very hard. Still hard. But it's how do you not? What I ask you every day to take care of my baby. So at first, instead of being angry, and I said why, and then I stopped myself. I said I'm not asking why, and I'm not blaming you because I know Satan is in the world and sin through Satan, and things like this are going to happen. But I know you're there for me, and I know. Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good. Those who love the Lord according to His purpose. And I know that I love you. And I know that somehow this is going to serve your purpose. And something good is going to come out of it. And I thank God for, for whatever reason that day. And we got through it. That was one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with. But instead of blaming God and go getting high, sticking a needle in my arm like I would have done for... I thank God for it You know, the song says we'll understand it better by and by and we most certainly will but I'll end, because I'm going to get long winded if I don't but I, I really appreciate y'all very much um, you all support of the Hope Center is, is changing lives I get to see it every day it's changed my life my family, they are very grateful for the Hope Center because this tornado that come through tearing up their lives for many years is now going up into the clouds it's gone I'm just here to love everybody now thank you the Lord let's pray God Almighty thank you so much for this congregation for your church Lord thank you for what you have done God help us all to to go out and, and to spread your word Lord and let every one of us use our testimony and the things that you've done for us in our lives to bring others to you for we know that you wish all men to be saved and that none should perish God thank you for, for all the blessings of this world thank you mostly for Jesus Christ coming to die for our sins and saving us saving us and pulling us out of the pit and setting us on solid ground Lord we love you very much, Lord. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adam.
0: See, so you've heard our brother in Christ tell his story and how he was baptized, not once but twice, but still lacked the surrender. What was missing in his life, missing in his relationship with God, as he went through sort of the motion, you might say. He did the physical part. But what was missing was that spiritual aspect of surrendering his life to the Almighty Father. And how God, once he did that, brought him through the addiction that he had been struggling with for so many years. And so if you're with us today and you've got that hole in your life that Adam talked about, that Adam has reminded us can only be filled with the love of God through the blood of Christ, then we offer an invitation today that you could come and you can be washed by the blood of the Lamb immersed in the waters of baptism, if you will simply surrender your life to the God who loved us so much that He gave us a Savior. And if you have some other need that's weighing on you today and you just appreciate the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ, we offer the invitation for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing together.